The presidential motorcade had just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. Ghislaine Maxwell, Jeffrey Epstein's procurer of talent, or basically the woman who garnered up all the underage girls um, so that Epstein could have his way with them. She's back in the news and she's actually getting ready to sit down for an interview. This is from New York Post. Ghislaine Maxwell is the latest in the Jeffrey Epstein scandal planning a major TV interview in part to defend her disgraced pal, Prince Andrew, who we played clips of that debacle. That was just, you don't get to see a dumpster fire as big as the Prince Andrew interview where he tries to defend himself for his relationship with this pedophile, now dead, which he didn't kill himself. And I love that that's still going. Really quick side note, there was an art exhibit where they had a banana duct taped to the wall for like 100000 or something in New York next to a couple other pieces of art. Some guy comes up, pulls it off the wall, and just starts chowing on it. He's just mowing down a banana, looking like Gorilla McGilla Gorilla, just tearing that thing up. And everybody was like, that's a win. Because that's not art. Duct taping a banana to the wall isn't art. But we weren't done there. No siree. That space, immediately after that banana was pulled down and was consumed at a hundred and some thousand dollars, was replaced with a statement painted on the wall. Epstein didn't kill himself. So it is gone, it is going on. The ruse of this pedophile, renowned pedophile, who was Close with the Clintons, close with Prince Andrew, close with people like the head of Victoria's Secret. Uh, what's his name? The governor of New Mexico. Former governors of New Mexico. Was it Richardson, I think? This guy was connected all over the place. Hollywood, in New York, in New Mexico. He had his little ranch out there. Well, Ghislaine Maxwell was the lady who lined everything up. She's going to sit down for an interview, and uh, she is actually the heiress to a British media outlet by her father. Uh, I want to say it's Robert Maxwell. And British media heiress, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, who has been repeatedly accused of procuring young girls for pedophile uh, ex, um, may have already been in talks with a major U.S. news network, according to The Sun. A TV special would follow the Duke of York, you know, Prince Andrew's own disastrous BBC sit-down about his close ties to Epstein, as well as the tearful accusations of key accuser Virginia Roberts Guilfrey. She's the one who uh, Prince Andrew had his arm around in that famous picture. And uh, she's coming out of hiding. Ghislaine is in hiding and knows the only way to stop being hunted to speak on her own terms is to come out and, and talk about it, a source told the paper. She will do a sit-down interview with a big U.S. network and defend the Duke. Apparently, she'll say Virginia Gurfrey is lying and Andrew never had sex with her. Maxwell, 
who's 57, is understood to be at the heart of the FBI's ongoing probe into Jeffrey Epstein's sex trafficking ring since his death in August. She has not been seen in public since he was arrested on federal charges in July. She is also central to the case against Prince Andrew with Gearfrey, claiming that the socialite was one who made the first uh, made her have sex with the royal uh, at Maxwell's London home in 2001. Gearfrey recently tweeted for all eyes to look out for the woman she says should be rotting in jail for her atrocities against me and so many other little girls she dragged into Epstein's orbit. Both Prince Andrew and Maxwell, who have reportedly remained in contact throughout the scandal, have denied any wrongdoing. Now, there's an interesting link-up between Prince An- uh, between Ghislaine Maxwell and even the Clintons. This is from National File. Ghislaine Maxwell's nephew, son of a blasphemous artist in New York, worked for Hillary's State Department. Ghislaine Maxwell, partner and associate with the late convicted pedophile and accused child trafficker Jeffrey Epstein, is laying low as calls mount for her own prosecution in the Epstein case. Maxwell is the scion to one of the world's most powerful families. National Files discovered a stunning connection. Maxwell's nephew was a top official in Hillary Clinton's State Department. Ghislaine Maxwell's socialite sister, Isabel Maxwell, married Dale Drizari, son of birth control pill inventor Carl Dezari in 1984 and had a son, Alexander, in the same year. The couple later divorced. Carl Dejari pursued a career in art, while his son, Alexander, pursued politics. Both Dale and his son, Alexander, are on the board of trustees for the Dejari Resident Arts Program. Dale and Alexander have been pictured together as father and son by the San Francisco Chronicle and other pub- publications. Alexander Dazari, who is Ghislaine Maxwell's nephew, was a high-ranking official in Hillary Clinton's State Department. Alexander Dazari was also a non-resident associate at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, where his research focused on Tunisia and U.S. foreign policy towards the Middle East and North Africa, all places that magically had an uprising, magically had some sort of Arab Spring. And remember, the State Department, with their Civil Society 2.0, has been uncovered for manufacturing many of these uprisings, getting together revolutionaries, training them, getting them ready to go, prepped and organized, so when the timing was right, where there could be something that can be considered a spark, they would all jump together and start a violent revolution so that they could take down the government, rewrite the Constitution, and change the game of those nations. George Soros NGOs, his organizations were behind funding it. They used technology. They showed how technology could be used to unite these revolutionaries. And this guy, Alexander Jazari, was somebody who researched Tunisia, and U.S. foreign policy towards Middle East and North Africa? From 2009 to 2012, Jazari was chief of staff and special assistant in the U.S. Department of State's Bureau of Near Eastern Affairs, covering U.S. relations with Arab states, Israel, and Iran. He worked on matters relating to uh, democratization and civil society in the Arab world. Wow, there's the civil society word. The Arab uprisings, 
The Israeli-Palestinian peace, he worked on all of that. Well, the Arab uprisings didn't work out so well. Neither has the Israeli-Palestine peace. Basically, it's Palestine trying to overrun Israel, and it's these revolutionaries in these Arab countries, the Muslim Brotherhood, who they supported in Egypt, Al-Qaeda, who were supporting in Syria. I mean, it's a, it's a mess. And this guy is connected to Ghislaine Maxwell, working in Hillary Clinton's State Department. Jazari has served as U.S. representative to the Friends of Libya conferences. Oh, the Friends of Libya. We were a great friend to them when we basically ousted Gaddafi or allowed the ousting of Gaddafi. Remember Hillary Clinton? He, we came, we saw, he died talking about Gaddafi. Yeah, Friends of the Syrian People conferences. We've been a great friend to Syria too, haven't we, Assad? We basically aided Al-Qaeda in your own backyard. Oh, man. Friends of Syrian People Conferences, USGCC Strategic Coordination Forum, and several UN General Assemblies. The Maxwell family has drawn scrutiny for its association with the Bronfman family. We talked about them. They count Nexium, child uh, trafficking cult benefactors Claire and Sarah Bronfman as members. Not only do they count the Bronfman family, who are the Seagram's heiress, who funded Keith Raniere's Nexium Child Trafficking Network. Also Jeffrey Epstein, who served as a patriarch to Edgar Bronfman's tax mitigation as a tax mitigation specialist when he worked for Bear Stearns in the 1970s. Dale Jazari took part in a blasphemous art display that caused some political trouble for Hillary Clinton when she ran for the Senate in 2000. That's a really interesting one, too, because basically what this guy did is he made an art exhibit with a naked guy with a Batman medallion and a Batman mask being nailed to the cross like Christ. That kind of drew some ire with people in New York who were supporting Hillary Clinton's campaign. So this is interesting because now you're starting to see more of the ties, more of the things that come together to show how insidious the relationships were with political operatives, most notably the Clintons. Notice you will see a correlation every time Jeffrey Epstein is talked about in the news and there is a relation to Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton in some news story. Suddenly this Trump was in Mar-a-Lago hanging out with Jeffrey Epstein. I don't know the extent of what Trump's relationship was with Jeffrey Epstein. Everybody seemed to have a relationship with Jeffrey Epstein, but Trump, from his supporters, they claim he got a little, Jeffrey Epstein got a little handsy with one of his uh, workers in his resort, and so he booted him out and never had a relationship since. I can't confirm or deny that. But what I can say is the relationship with the Clintons gets minimized all the time. And this should say, show something that's pretty disturbing, too. This is from the UK Daily Mail, exclusive. Bill Clinton was Jeffrey Epstein's closest celebrity mate and frequent guest at his New Mexico ranch with wife Hillary, staying at the pedophile's cowboy-themed village, the estate workers say. Bill and Hillary Clinton would stay at Jeffrey Epstein's New Mexico ranch frequently after they left the White House, former estate workers told Daily Mail TV. The former president was Epstein's closest celebrity mate, and the Clintons visited Zorro Ranch a whole bunch of times, a former contractor who ran the IT systems at the property said. The former president was Epstein's closest celebrity mate and the Clintons, along with daughter Chelsea, visited Zora Ranch a whole bunch of times. 
The family visited the 10,000-acre estate in New Mexico desert often, but never stayed in the main house. Instead, the Clinton family bunked down in a special cowboy-themed village created by Epstein, which is a mile south of his own luxury mountaintop villa. They'd use one of the two guest houses, which looked like they were straight out of the 19th century. The guest homes are next to other traditional Wild West-style buildings, such as an old-school schoolhouse and saloon bar. An American flag is raised high above the village, which is next door to Epstein's private airstrip, where he arrived on his private planes, including the infamous Lolita Express, which, remember, Bill Clinton flew on some 30-some times. This is all according to a security expert, Jared Kellogg, who was brought in by longstanding ranch manager Bryce Gordon to improve security and set up a camera system at the main house and Cowboy Village. It's unbelievable. When contacted by the Daily Mail for comment, Bill Clinton's press office referred us to a statement released over the summer. The statement denied that he ever visited any of Epstein's residences apart from once at Epstein's home in New York City. They reached out to Hillary Clinton's office for comment as well and got nothing. Kellogg said at the time of his site walk of Epstein's property, he had barely any knowledge of Epstein's reputation, but he said Gordon spent most of the time boasting about the Clinton's frequent appearance at the estate. The ranch is one of several Epstein's homes where underage girls were flown in from all over the world. The New York Times claimed that the convicted pedophile confided in scientists that he planned to impregnate up to 20 women at a time to improve the human race with his genes. That's how crazy this guy is. Um, what's interesting about this is this also goes back to the fact that he has that big painting in his New York mansion, a Bill Clinton wearing a dress depicted as lounging in a chair in the Oval Office, wearing red heels and posing suggestively in a blue dress, very similar to what Monica Lewinsky had on when that whole affair came through. There is big ties between Clint, the Clintons and Epstein. And I kind of wonder, again, I said this about a million times if you listen to me, this could be one of the things that's behind the firewall that this whole impeachment proceedings about. We just had the internal, well, we, the IG report came out, told us exactly what we thought. Oh, there was impropriety here. There was impropriety there. The FBI did this that messed up. Oh, but they, you know, it's okay. They still were allowed to investigate. They had, they had standing to investigate. Um, no, they didn't. And Durham and Attorney General Barr have put out statements refuting that stating that, uh, well, this we don't think that this report is completely accurate. So we have this investigation that could come out over the spring that could indict some people. But with the FBI falling all over its sword, the NSA falling all over its sword, the CIA falling all over its sword, somebody's protecting Clinton. The FBI was definitely protecting whatever was on Anthony Weiner's laptop, which is supposedly had all this information about the Clintons going to Epstein's Island, things that disturbed the NYPD when they saw it. So it makes you wonder, what are they hiding behind all of this? What is on the Wiener laptop? What were the Clintons engaged in? And is Obama basically deploying his bureaucracy on his way out the door before Trump takes over to cover up these civil society revolutionary projects of recreating governments using State Department training for revolutionaries in certain countries 
and were the Clintons engaged in insidious child trafficking behavior with the Epsteins and Keith Ranieri and Nexium, who all donated to their campaigns. Jeffrey Epstein claims he helped make the Clinton Foundation with Bill Clinton. All of this could be why you're seeing such insane attacks on President Trump. And it's not just because it was Trump. It could have been any Republican president. Well, Jeb would have looked the other way. Kasich would have looked the other way, but Ted Cruz wouldn't have. And that's why they had dossiers on every Republican president. That hasn't really been that widely reported, but I've heard different instances of that. So we have to realize whatever is under that Band-Aid that is being ripped off really quickly, they want to stop us from pulling it all the way off, and they want to remove the people now in power that can do it And they're going to do so by any means necessary, even if it means a sham impeachment hearing and shoving through articles of impeachment on items such as obstructing Congress. Congress is the legislative branch. The executive branch can do what it wants to do. And it's not in violation of the of the legislative branch because they are co-equal separate branches. But they're going to try to pretend that the public is too stupid and they're going to say, oh, well, they're running through. Uh, He's running through all this information and he's obstructing justice and abusing power and he's obstructing Congress, which is all crap. Time will tell. We'll see if this is what is underneath the murky surface of this swamp, this deep state swamp. And maybe we'll finally get some answers. So Time Magazine has finally come out with its anticipated person of the year. And everybody was wondering... Who's it going to be? Because we're all on pins and needles when we're thinking of who is going to be the person of the year. They had all types of ideas. The whistleblower. I was thinking, okay, let's do whistleblower. Let's have a big silhouette of some guy who is a deep state operative. Let's make him the whistleblower. And then you had all these other people uh, that were considered, and they were all just your typical leftist activist hacks. And what was really crazy is they actually picked their person of the year, but then they had to go back because they couldn't pick all the people of the year that they wanted. They had to make up a new person of the year category, guardians of the year. Who did they pick for the guardians of the year? The public servants. And they've got them all in the impeachment hearing, raising their hands. Yeah. And the Mueller report, all that crap, the Mueller hearings, They basically gave guardians of the year to the deep state, to the bureaucracy, to the one organization to which all of us have lost our faith. We have lost our faith in law enforcement, in justice, in a operating bureaucracy. We have a bureaucracy that is operating under a Trump uh, presidency as subversive, insubordinate operatives who are trying to save the democracy which we're a constitutional republic, so quit saving it. Quit trying to save it. Quit trying to be Superman of the democracy because the constitutional republic chose the president, not the democracy, which would have chosen Hillary Clinton. That's why you have a popular vote versus an electoral college that Elizabeth Warren and everybody wants to ban because it doesn't work in their favor. Of course, if they lose the popular vote, but then win the Electoral College, they're going to want to superdelegate the Electoral College with this new version of the the Electoral College where it's going to be 
overseen by superdelegates and whatever. Because it's not about whether or not it's legitimate. It's about how do I win? Let's just destroy processes and norms. Let's impeach a president on obstruction of Congress and over a Ukrainian telephone call because we just didn't like the results of the election. Let's just destroy the impeachment process, the integrity of it all. That's what they do. So they picked the deep state as the guardians of the year. Person of the year is who do you think it was? Oh, yeah. How dare you? The 16-year-old, creepy, climate change-obsessed Asperger's kid from Sweden who rode out here on a sailboat to which they had to fly captains out, burning up all types of jet fuel to bring them back in. Well, she is Time Magazine's Person of the Year. And what's really interesting is what they said in the article that they posted for it. More than a century after that science has become known, Thurnberg's primary school teacher showed a video of its effects Starving polar bears, extreme weather, and flooding. The teacher explained that it was all happening because of climate change. Afterwards, the entire class felt glum, but the other kids were able to move on. Thurnberg, she could not. She began to feel extremely alone. She was 11 years old. When she fell into a deep depression for months, she stopped speaking almost entirely, ate so little that she was nearly hospitalized. That period of malnutrition would later stunt her growth. Could it be that you read propaganda from National Geographic and somebody with a mental illness like Asperger's became obsessed with it? I mean, Greta's dad, we did all these things basically not really to save the climate. We didn't care much about that initially. We did it to make Greta happy and to get her back to life. (laughs) Unbelievable. Well, Fee Magazine debunks the myth that the polar bear population is declining based on that video. (laughs) This is what climate change looks like, said National Geographic. The magazine explained that because of melting sea ice precipitated by climate change, more of these mammals are starving. They They pointed to a new study in science suggesting that polar bears require much greater caloric intake in their diet than previously believed. The video, shot by photographers Paul Nicklin and Christina Midamiri on Somerset Island sparked outcry over the decimation of the polar bears due to global warming. The footage was viewed 2.5 billion people. It was that many people watched it. Well, the polar bears, there is no shortage. The state of the polar bear report 2018 put the new global midpoint estimate at more than 30,000. Data from conservation groups and the government show that the polar bear population is roughly five times what it was in the 1950s and three or four times than it was in the 1970s. In fact, the polar bears were placed under protection of the Endangered Species Act in 2008 over concerns that its Arctic hunting grounds were being reduced by warming climate. So it's all crap. She fell for the crap. She went obsessed with it. Her parents exploited it. The UN bought it all on because they wanted the stage show. The climate activists wanted the, wanted the new face. You know, they wanted the Emma Gonzalez, David Hogg of the Parkland climate change shooting. And they got one. And this is what we're dealing with. And now Time Magazine, because she couldn't get the Nobel, 
They've got to do like what they're doing with uh, Megan Rapino, whatever her name is, the soccer player, lesbian soccer player that they put on the cover of Sports Illustrated. They have to give her accolades somehow to promote her character. And what are they going to do? They're going to put her on the cover of Time Magazine as Person of the Year. Unbelievable. This is Adrian Slade. Adrian Slade Broadcast. So the Christmas season is upon us, and one of the gifts that we are given is the gift that Donald Trump brought, and that is the gift to watch people lose their rational minds just because of their collective sites, their collective crew, their tribe. I mean, the level that people go to basically sacrifice their own values and their own their own beliefs just because they don't like President Trump, it's unfathomable. And the case that I saw recently was related to Claremont University Methodist Church in California. Now, I'm not going to get ultrally biblical, but there's going to be some biblical things being talked about. So just keep that in mind. And the reason for that is because the Claremont United Methodist Church has a nativity display. And basically what this nativity display is, Mary is in a cage. Jesus is in a separate cage. Next to him is Joseph in a cage. So basically the idea is if we're separating kids at the border and putting them in cages, then let's take a modern, or t- let's take a, a prominent, you know, a prominent scene, the nativity scene coming up on Christmas time and show our outrage over what's happening at the border with detention and release and vetting of individuals coming across and being detained. Let's turn that into a nativity scene. So a church is going to make a political statement using the nativity scene. Now, this guy. Anthony Brezikin, he's with Vanity Fair. He's a Vanity Fair correspondent. He actually put a tweet thread about this. I saw this in Mashable, and I wasn't going to get too heavy into talking about this until I saw this thread, and then I kind of felt like, you know what? I'm being led to talk about this. And so he said, Karen Clark Ristine, a senior minister at the church, shared the, mess- the image on Facebook with this message. I wish everyone in the United States would read this for the Christmas season. Now, Karen Clark Ristling put this on her page. Stirred to tears by the Claremont UMC nativity. Inside the church, the Holy Family is reunited. The theological statement posted with the nativity, in a time in our country when refugee families seek asylum at our borders and are unwillingly separated from one another, we consider the most well-known refugee family in the world. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, the Holy Family. Shortly after the birth of Jesus, Joseph and Mary were forced to flee with their young son from Nazareth to Egypt to escape King Herod, a tyrant. They feared persecution and death. What if this family sought refuge in our country? What if they did that today? Imagine Joseph and Mary separated at the border and Jesus, no older than two, taken from his mother, placed behind the fence, of a Border Patrol detention center, as more than 5,500 children have 
in the past three years. And then he goes on, Anthony goes on to say, the comments are filling up with MAGA rage. I'm sorry for the souls of these people. I love the nativity story. I love it not because it's warm and fuzzy, but because it's about perseverance against cruelty. No one saves them. The child is born in squalor, hiding among animals. He rests in a manger, which is not a hay-stuffed crib, but a feeding trough. The monster of the nativity story is not King Herod, the bloodthirsty tyrant. He is just the backdrop. The villain is the innkeeper, a common everyday person who sees the dire situation and chooses not to help. No room. Sorry. America is full of innkeepers these days. The stable was not the pristine, rustic structure we see in the displays. It was the equivalent of being born in an alley beside a dumpster. Who shows them kindness? The shepherds. Other poor, dirty, desperate people. They have nothing but help anyway, even though they're afraid. Then the wise men come from afar. Others call them three kings. I always thought of them not as professors or prophets, but simply people who saw the situation with clear eyes, with wisdom, who had empathy, who wanted to help even though they were from somewhere else. It's a beautiful story rendered more beautiful by Claremont United Methodist Church for making us see how clearly it is today. Who will help? Who will turn away? How do we open the eyes of the innkeepers, especially when seeing something like this only infuriates them? To which my friend Susan said, was this the church display under Obama as well, or is this selective virtue signaling? <laughs> now, this guy's completely off the mark. I mean, to, to sit there and make the point that the innkeeper is the villain and the bloodthirsty King Herod is just a backdrop. He misses the entire point of the nativity. The villain wasn't the innkeeper, gang. The villain was us, humans, fallen, sinful beings. The Savior was born in the manger because he was the sacrificial lamb. You know, one thing people don't realize when we talk about the shepherds, he looked at the shepherds as these low-class, dirty, you know, people out there watching their sheep, watching their lambs. Guess what? In that section where the inn was, <laughs> the manger was, that section, those shepherds were actually raising lambs, sacrificial lambs without blemish. They had to be the most perfect lamb. They were inspected by Levite priest to make sure that there is no blemish so that they could be sacrificed for the sins that were committed. And the importance of the manger is because he, the sacrificial lamb of all time, <laughs> the sacrificial lamb, Christ, was born in that manger. I mean, they, you know, the, the shepherds were watching over the lambs who were being readied for sacrifice. And then in that specific location, Christ, the ultimate sacrifice, was born. The lamb that John the Baptist, who was from the line of Levite priest, who saw Jesus years later, John the Baptist, his cousin, sees, sees Christ later. And points to him and says, behold, 
<laughs> the Lamb of God who takes the sins of all beings, of all people. <laughs> I mean, and that's right before John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. You know, <laughs> Mary and Joseph weren't migrants. They were being forced to be a part of the first census, which, you know, if you want to get biblical, that was a God thing. The fact that they had to have the census, the fact that they were summoned to go to that area, the fact that they landed in that area at the time that Jesus was born, that's all coming together. Prophecy all coming together. And for a church, like a Methodist church, to use this as some sort of political tool to, to basically throw shade at the border, at the ICE agents, is just ridiculous. I mean, it's completely egregious. I mean, they don't understand their biblical, uh, you know, their biblical founding, their biblical principles, obviously, because that's their take. Uh, you know, it's amazing to me, and that's California. It's amazing when you find out the level of the infection of various leftist groups into Christian organizations. George Soros actually has a hand in some of that. But what they're trying to do, and they've been trying to do this with the Catholic Church, especially through the Pope for ages, is to get the church to capitulate to whatever progressive agenda item that they push in order to be able to further progressivism. That's why they go to the, they go to the Pope for everything. Climate change, you know, abortion. I mean, that's, that's what their modus operandi is, is to get what they want to do with the Constitution to say whatever they want it to say. You know, the Constitution's this living document, right? That's what they always say. So that means it can be changed and molded and shaped all the time, which really the process for a constitutional amendment or a change to it is so ridiculously tedious and difficult that it better be daggone, you know, sound. It better be something the entire population of the United States somewhat is pushing for because the process is going to weed itself out, whether or not it's some fly-by-night seat of her pants change to the Constitution. Same thing with what they're trying to do with the Pope. They want the Pope to be the living document, to get out there and say, well, Jesus uh, is fine with gay marriage, and Jesus is fine with the, you. You must be punished for climate change because this is the earth that Jesus built. You know, this is the creation that God made. All that kind of craziness. And you got people like Nancy Pelosi out there talking about her Christian faith, her Catholic faith, and Pete Buttigieg out there talking about his Christian faith as he's married to a guy and he is a Methodist. So obviously the Methodist church has an issue and it's had an issue for a while, but there's actually a schism going on within the Methodist church, but it's over things like this. It's over things like pushing political leftist agenda items and trying to make the Bible say what you want it to say as opposed to what it actually says. So the takes like this from people who obviously don't understand the real story of the birth of Christ, like this Vanity Fair correspondent and the church that put this stupid ruse together, this dumb nativity of caged baby Jesus, they need to be checked. They need to be told um, what you're doing is politicizing 
something that should not be politicized and that there's more meaning behind the birth of Christ than what this church is displaying in their caged up border security nativity. Sometimes I get really amazed by what gets time on news and what doesn't. You know, things that show up on the news, if they're under the right narrative, they get all the coverage in the world. Parkland shooting, you know, if they want to find a way to go months and months with these kids and make them out to be these victim heroes, advocates, all this stuff then they're going to do that. But then something happens like in Las Vegas, shooting up a concert, a country concert, and nothing. And this seems to have been the case recently. You know, think about like Covington Catholic. You've got the, the black Israel, Hebrew Israels, whatever Israelites show up and along with some, some Vietnam vet who wasn't a Vietnam vet and he's a Native American, but then he's also kind of maybe not. And... He's pounding a drum in their face. These kind of things catch the narrative and they end up being magnified. But then certain things like what happened in New Jersey, nothing. It was on the news for half a day. (laughs) What happened was there was a shooting. And with this shooting, it it was a fire battle. I saw it come through the news. I, you know, jump on my scanner app because I kind of want to hear the details, not because I'm fetishized by it, but because the news media is so daggone corrupt that that's the only way you're going to get the true news is if you hear it straight from the horse's mouth. So I went on and listen to this. Bidwell and MLK, correction, Bidwell and MLK. Any unit that Bidwell and MLK supposedly are in a direct line of fire, getting calls at control. I'm not getting shots fired towards the Bearcat. Fire the Bearcat. Fire the Bearcat. Hi, units in the south. Four shots, five towards the Bearcat. Again, if anybody's at Bidwell and MLK, move out of the way. You're in the direct line of fire from uh, the cause that control. So a cop gets gunned down. You can hear the fire, the gunfire, on the radio. It's unbelievable. But there was quite a few people dead. I, I want to say there was like six people killed. Um, two of them were the victims uh, or the suspects. And they were targeting a kosher a jewish kosher market and basically the situation kind of yeah left six people dead um the new york times report reported that this believed to have been motivated by anti-semitic and anti-police sentiments really well there's been multiple victims um innocent bystanders police officer detective joseph seals keep him in your prayers he leaves behind five children. Um, you can donate. Donate at brothersbeforeothers.org. Brothersbeforeothers.org. Detective Joseph Seals, I think he was 39, leaves, by, leaves behind a wife and five children during this holiday season. Uh, but yeah, this shooting happens, and we hear nothing. Young mother uh, and Yeshiva Bakar, among Jersey City dead, 24-year-old Mashi Hirsch Deutsch, son of R. Shalom from Washington, or Williamsburg, and Ms. Lee Mindel Ferentes, 33 years old, wife of Rosh, uh, Mashi David, and the daughter of Benamin Hirsch Greenfield were among the, those killed. So it's quite a few people in the wake of this shooting, and it just came out of the blue. 
This is what Stephen Funlop stated. Uh, I think he's an official from New Jersey. Based on our initial investigation, which is ongoing, we now believe the active shooters targeted the location they attacked. Due to an excess of caution, the community may see additional police resources in the days and weeks ahead. We have no indication there are any further threats. I'm sorry, he's the, na- he's the mayor. Last night, after extensive review of our CCTV system, it has now become clear from the closed-circuit cameras that these two individuals targeted the kosher grocery location on Martin Luther King Drive. The second JCPD officers that were on the foot post one block away immediately engaged and responded. And he had anti-Semitic and anti-police post, which we find out later. They finally, a day later, released the identity of these people. And that being the gunman who stormed the kosher store in Jersey City, identified as David, uh, David Anderson and Francine Graham. So we heard it was a guy and a female, but we didn't know what the situation was. Well... David Anderson was a follower of the Black Hebrew Israelite movement. There were postings connected to Anderson's social page with anti-police and anti-Jewish writings, WNBC reports. So it's kind of concerning. Yeah, around 1230, Seals, who is the uh, married detective uh, with five children, He approached the suspects at around the Bayview Cemetery as part of an investigation. He was shot dead. Two suspects who the police both were saying were male. um, They actually came out of a U-Haul truck, had long guns, and they targeted the J.C. Kosher supermarket, killing three civilians before the cops showed up, um, including the son of former New York Police Department Commissioner Bernie Carrick. They stormed the market in an armored vehicle and killed the suspects. The fierce shootout terrified residents as gunfire rang out for hours. Police say that at this time they have no evidence that the incident is linked to terror or hate crimes. Well, anti-Semitic post sounds like hate crimes to me, but it's amazing what the what the media and what social media will do because they didn't post anything about this. There was videos of of the cops engaging. There was, you know, reports online. So it's not that they didn't cover it, but it didn't last that long. Gone. Out of the news. Same thing kind of happened in Pensacola. You have a mass shooter, Saudi national, being trained by the military in Navy flight places. <laughs> That's not concerning. They, didn't, they don't want to learn how to fly and not how to land, do they? Well, this guy ends up having a party, a mass shooting video party the night before the attack. And then he has other individuals with him filming it. So he's, he's got people filming the attack that they can use as radical, uh, radical jihad propaganda. And then on top of that, this same guy has a party the night before to gear everybody up. And so what ends up happening is we have people start reporting on it because there was a manifesto that was put out. Oh, but Twitter doesn't like the manifesto. Fox and Friends host Pete Hegseth is banned from Twitter after sharing anti-American manifesto of Pensacola shooter Muhammad al-Shamari. Yeah, he was banned. In fact, he actually had to go on his father's Twitter account to post more information. Unbelievable. And he's not the only one. Andy No, 
Remember Andy? No, he's the guy that's out there always uh, covering the Antifa fights and, and Antifa rallies. He's been beaten in the head. He's had his share of being suspended from Twitter and other social media platforms. Well, huh. he had an issue. Andy No was actually banned from Twitter. This is from postmillennial.com. And they were t- actually, there was more people than just Andy No and Pete Hegseth. There was also Mike Cernovich. They had been suspended for posting Shooter's Manifesto. However, neither Cernovich nor Hegseth's tweets included, any man- included the manifesto. But now we have to deal with the fact that that's what was going on. I thought it was really interesting what Michelle Malkin put up because she kind of talked a little bit about what happened in, uh, with this whole training program with the United States and Saudi Arabia. She put the U.S.-Saudi Aviation Training Partnership at Pensacola and other uh, military bases are part of a $30 billion sale of F-15s to the Saudis engineered by Hillary Clinton and the State Department. Yep. Declassified State Department emails from top Hillary staffers gloated about the Saudi government uh, in December of 2011, which I've covered years ago. Yeah, she sold these uh, planes to Saudi Arabia and then got a kickback for the Clinton Foundation. Nice chunk of change. Saudis had contributed $10 million to the Clinton Foundation. F-15 manufacturer Boeing had contributed 900000 to Clinton Foundation. She goes on to say the F-15 deal was one of 42 arms ammo training deals that the Obama White House and the Clinton State Department, State Department forged with Saudi Arabia to the tune of $115 billion in arms sales. Remember, we talked about Civil Society 2.0, State Department, Ghislaine Maxwell's nephew working for Hillary Clinton State Department. They had their hands in all these governments. If Saudi Arabia owes a debt to the Pensacola shooting victims' families, what about all the American corruptocrats in D.C. who enabled thousands of Saudi pilots, engineers, military personnel through our front door and onto our military bases? Right. She goes, six Saudis arrested near Pensacola Naval Air Station tonight. Question to ask, were they part of a joint training partnership program created by the $30 billion F-15 deal between Hillary's State Department and the Clinton Foundation donors and Boeing in Saudi Arabia? It's bad enough we sacrifice our finest men to fight endless wars overseas for other countries, but to sacrifice our heroes on American soil to train other nations and their American-hating pilots? Enough. And I agree. I mean, look what's going on right now. I haven't had time to get into it because we've got about two minutes left in the show. The Afghanistan papers have come out. And they talk about the war in Afghanistan. There was absolutely no focus. It was all over the place. They fudged numbers, troop levels. They basically put us in a war for over a decade. Had millions of people, well, not millions, but we had tons of soldiers die. And there was no focus to it. Could that have been an early version of what we're dealing with? With the State Department? Sounds like it to me. We need to really look at how the media is not covering things, how the our own government is attacking private citizens running for public office using the weight of the bureaucracy behind it, how there's this underbelly of insidious child trafficking and sex cults. You've got these sick individuals working with politicians, and then you've got them allowing Saudi nationals to train at military bases, aviation military bases at that. 
You've got attacks by individuals with anti-Semitic backgrounds, and they're not even getting reported in the news. All of this is going on right under our noses, and yet we do nothing. That's the point of my podcast, because I want to bring these things to light, because I don't know if anyone else is going to. I have a background in broadcasting and radio and recording and editing, so I decided I don't, you know, I don't make tons of money off of this. I do this because I enjoy the art of broadcasting, but I also enjoy getting information that I see that no one else is talking about out to you so that you know, so that you're informed. And I think the past two weeks have been really eye-opening as to how important that's all (laughs) needed to be because we're not getting it from the mainstream media. They're strictly straight out not reporting things which is dangerous because you need that fourth estate. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning into the show. Listen to us on Mojo 5 Radio. You can find that on iHeartRadio or go to Mojo5o.com every Wednesday, 10 p.m. Also, get the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, TuneIn, iHeart, Overcast, wherever podcasts are hosted, And be sure to give us a review. Give us a good five-star review that's going to help us go up in the ratings so we're more visible to others. You can also donate to the show. Go to patreon.com slash Adrian Slade Show. Give $2 a month or go to anchor.fm and search Adrian Slade. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Gab, MeWe, Parler, Convo, Snippy. Search Adrian Slade. Follow us on Twitter at Rants Out Loud or at Adrian Slade Show, which is the official show page on Twitter. And you can also read the blog, adriansladeshow.com. You can also get the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel in your streaming store on the Roku streaming channel store. Be sure to download the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>